Thank you for joining us for a new podcast from the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. My name is Olivia and I'm a member of the Young Adult Council. Today we're going to be talking about how to support someone who's lost a loved one to suicide. You either know someone, you've lost someone personally, or you know someone who knows someone. The fact is that according to the CDC, nearly 46,000 Americans die by suicide every year. That's 130 every day. I became one of those people who knew someone who lost someone recently. A few months ago, one of my family members lost their best friend to suicide. And it was really tough for me because as a mental health advocate, who's very vocal, my family member thought he could come to me for all the answers. And that's just not how it works. And so as I started that process of trying to support the family member, I did what any young adult I think would do. I went on Google and typed in, you know, how to support someone you love that's lost someone to suicide. And I found that there weren't really a lot of guides for that or a lot of resources. And so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, We're going to talk about just general tips for supporting people that are grieving, but we're also going to talk specifically about suicide loss and your role as someone with a lived experience and as a loved one, um, trying to balance sharing your story along with the knowledge that you don't have all the answers and that's okay. We're also gonna talk about resources you can send your loved one to because you don't have all the answers. And then finally, we're gonna talk about taking care of yourself as you support your loved one because it is so important to practice self-care with a topic as heavy as this. So at this point, I'd like to introduce Jamie. She is also a member of DBSA's Young Adult Council. Jamie, what's your connection to this topic? Hi, Olivia. So I lost my brother to suicide in 2012. He had just turned 18. He had a learning disability, and I'm highly convinced he was also on the autism spectrum, although that was never confirmed. He dealt with bullying all throughout school, even from a teacher, and it was hard for him to make friends. On top of that, our dad was barely around, and whenever we did see him, he was usually in a bad mood because he was a functioning alcoholic. So we pretty much grew up without a father. And at some point, my brother developed an addiction to video games, and all of that built up, and he began struggling with depression. I'm so sorry for your loss, and I really hope that today you can kind of turn that pain into something that can help other people going through something similar. And I also want to bring in two other guests today on the podcast. Carla Joyce is a licensed clinical social worker, and Kelly Monk is a clinical research coordinator at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, If you can, just take some time to describe the work that you do. Thanks so much, Olivia, um, for having us here today. Um, As Olivia said, my name is Carla Joyce and I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And I would just like to um, just echo Olivia's sentiments in um, expressing my sympathy to Jamie. Um, It is such a difficult loss and um, I just wish you healing in your your, um, grieving journey. Um, So my current role right now is as a research coordinator on a research study um, that works with teens aged like 13 to 18. And the study was developed to see if we can use smartphone technology to better understand changes in mood and anxiety, and in some cases, suicidal thoughts and behaviors in teens. So the ultimate goal of the study is to see if we can take this 
information that we collect from this powerful source, the cell phone, right? Um, and harness that into information that we can use to intervene with teens who are at risk for depression, anxiety, and suicide before they get to a crisis point. Um, so I work on a daily basis with teens that are um, experiencing some kind of suicidal ideation. Previously, I worked in schools um, doing violence prevention and bullying prevention and kind of developed a love for working with at-risk teens at that point. Um, I also co-facilitate with Kelly, who will be introduced here in a minute. Um, we co-facilitate our survivors of suicide support group. Um, we'll talk about that group as we get further into the discussion, um, but I will just allow Kelly now to introduce herself. Thanks all for having me today. I really do appreciate it. Um, as Olivia mentioned, my name is Kelly Monk. I'm a, a registered nurse by training and I currently do work in research as well as coordinate uh, the survivor of suicide support group here at Western Psychiatric Hospital um, in Pittsburgh. And uh, yeah, Jamie, um, thank you for being a part of this today uh, and sharing your story and your journey. Um, and I am so sorry too as well. Um, and I think that we'll really be able to gain a unique aspect from I'm talking today and sharing your story and and how, what it's been like for you during your journey. And then we'll kind of hopefully be able to interject some things that we've learned um, working with the um, survivor of suicide groups. Um, and it's really an honor to have been working with them and to be working with you today. So thank you for that. Yeah, so I'm sure that you will both have experiences from that survivors of suicide group to share throughout this conversation. But I do want to start with briefly just describing how that program works for people. The SOS group was something that was developed um, at Western Psychiatric Hospital um, at the Center for Center for Teens at Risk for Suicide. Um, that's at Western Psych under the, the direction of David Brent, who is an MD. Um, and his, his lifelong passion has been um, researching this area of depression and suicide in um, children and adolescents. And so this group was formulated about 30 years ago, um, called the Survivor of Suicide Group. And um, we work with adults 18 and older um, who have lost someone to suicide. The suicide group can be, um, you can have lost anyone by, to suicide, it, uh, just a loved one. So parent, a child, a partner, a friend, a relative, um, a coworker, a therapist. And so um, any, anybody can join the SOS group that's had a loss. And uh, it's an eight week group, our particular group. It's a closed group, meaning that we all start the group together um, at week one and end the group together at week eight. In the early weeks, um, people can join us, but at week three, we do um, not, include any more members because we're kind of all beginning to build a relationship and um, and walking through the journey. And the first four weeks of the group are spent um, in getting to know one another as well as sharing stories of um, the loved one that we lost to suicide and getting to know our the loved one, not only about how they died, but also we want to know the legacy of this person because their identity is not solely how they died, but rather their life and the relationship that this person had with them. Um, and so we get to know each other very well. It's a very deep, meaningful, intimate kind of group experience um, that we share together. And then the, the second four weeks of the group are then the restoration and recovery focus of talking about the, 
um, person in the group and their grief journey. And that's kind of it in a nutshell. And I would just add to that, um, it's been my experience in, in co-facilitating the group that um, it's nothing short of miraculous every time um, part of this group um, to see the healing that occurs from week one to week eight. It is honestly the most humbling and rewarding work I've done in my career um, because the individuals in the group do the work. They um, support one another. They push one another. They are in a room for the first time really with a group of people who most likely understand how they're feeling. So they're just in this very safe space where there's no judgment about the way their loved one died. Um, and they just can fully um, relate to the other people in the group. And we've had people in the group that have lost someone a month ago. And we've had people in the group who lost someone 20 years ago. And they're, they're you know, finally able to start kind of processing and sharing. Um, so it is um, an amazing process to be a small part of. And thanks for sharing that, Carla. And yeah, and I would like to say, and Jamie, I'm going to bounce this one over to you. And that is, is that what Carla said about people understanding where um, each of them are coming from. And that's true because loss can be isolating anyway. And loss by suicide can be especially isolating. Um, and so when people come together in this group, they are hopefully able to recognize that they're not alone, that people do understand because um, it can be isolating, as I mentioned. And Jamie, I'm wondering um, if you experienced that and how old were you when you lost your brother? I had to have been around 20 years old. Okay. And yes, um, it is very isolating. When you lose a loved one, it feels like you lost a part of yourself. So walking around feeling that part of myself was gone, it was very isolating. And um, the way that I dealt with that was having people around me that made it a lot better than feeling like I was alone in that process. So that definitely helped me get through that grief. Mm. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, and I think when someone um, dies by suicide, the survivors, their assumptive, assumptive worldview has been shattered. And so, it, you know, it's, it can be traumatizing. It can be, let's see here. I have a couple of other notes, but it, and it's shocking. It can be um, destabilizing. And it, there's a range of emotions that go along with this. And it's kind of like, you know, picking up the pieces and not knowing where to start um, after something like this has occurred. I think you make a good point, Jamie, about, you know, different things help different people, but it sounds like one of the things that really helped you was um, being surrounded by friends and family. And Jamie, I'm curious what kind of form that interaction and comfort took for you. Um, I know for, for my family member, there were times when they really wanted to dive into the legacy of the person they lost. But then there were also other times where they just wanted to go out to eat and talk about day-to-day -day things or just watch a movie and have a distraction. Um, so what did that balance look like for you? My situation was kind of strange because I had 
family visiting from out of state. And I was also not very close with them. But simply having someone around, especially after my brother's funeral, that made me feel a lot less alone. As far as balancing um, thinking about my brother and going through that grief, um, I, I felt like I really didn't have anyone to talk to because I didn't get along with um, um, my mother's side of the family at that time. So for me, it was really internally processing it on my own. But as long as I had someone around me, that did make it a little bit better. So I, I didn't necessarily feel like talking about it. But if I wanted to, it was good to know that I had people around me during that time. Yeah. And Kelly, you mentioned earlier um, that suicide deaths can be really confusing and startling. And for people without lived experience of, you know, mental health conditions or suicidal thoughts, it's very confusing. I mean, you said it perfectly. So I know myself as a very vocal advocate for mental health, my family came to me with all these questions, thinking and hoping that I would have the answers. Things like, why did that person do it? What did I do wrong? What signs did I miss? What could I have done differently? And for me, it was so challenging to try to find the balance between sharing about my own experience with, with a suicide attempt, but also having the knowledge that it's really impossible to answer those questions for another person because every person is so different. Uh, so this is really for anyone, but how, how can you respond when somebody asks a question like that? You know, what did I do wrong? Why did this person kill themselves? Mm -hmm. There are so many like could have, would have, should have's. Um, when someone dies by suicide, and um, it, it is difficult to know how to respond. Um, I think that one thing um, that I know that we talk about in the support group is, is that, you know, when um, people die by other causes, whether it be, in, you know, from a medical illness, um, we think about, you know, the time from like diagnosis until the time that uh, they die, um, that's kind of your frame of reference. And if someone dies tragically by a car accident or say in a natural disaster or something like that, we often think about from the last time we saw them, when we parted ways the last time, you know, did I say I love you and those kinds of things. But when someone dies by suicide, unfortunately, we think about our entire relationship being in question about, you know, did, did they lo even love me? How could they have left me um, to to right up until the point where they passed away. And so it can be really difficult. It's very complicated. Um, and there really um, isn't an answer. And that's one thing that um, survivors have to do. I think that Carla mentioned earlier that there's a lot of work involved in grieving um, and it can be very tiring um, as well. But um, where the journey begins um, in a person's grief, like, so there's the acute and early phases of grief, you know, right after this happens, shock and such questioning but um um the support group really works with people um based on Teresa Rando's um uh six R's of mourning um and uh the first one really is 
establishing a narrative. I can't remember what the R's are, but um, it's establishing a narrative, developing the story. And it kind of helps the person examine it. Now, so that's kind of what we do in a support group. If you're with a bereaved person, you know, just on a one-to-one -one basis, I think that um, really just your gift of presence is so important um, because there really are no right answers. So one of the things that you can say to them is kind of like, um, like what, like, tell me what happened, you know, it's a, you know, uh, and they might respond with, um, what do you want to know? And then you can say whatever you want to tell me, like just opening that door for communication and then allowing them to share what they want to share, but not, you know, feeling like they're being questioned or that, you know, you're kind of like wanting to know like the, the, um, all of the things that can be so concerning or upsetting to a person by letting them just speak their mind, what's on their mind. Um, but yeah, when they're asking those questions, they're really like kind of like talking out loud, trying to make sense of this tra very traumatic event. So it's just kind of really being present, listening to what they have to say, and just provide validation and confirm their pain, you know, recognizing that they're there, allowing them to vent their anger and their guilt. Because, you know, along when, when someone dies like this, there's not, not only the things that we talked about um, as far as shock and trauma and those kinds of things, but there's guilt, confusion, feelings of rejection, feelings of shame, possibly, and anger, um, which is so unfortunate that they have all of these other things on top of what, you know, what they're going through. I hope that helps a little. I just wanted to add that sometimes it is clear why someone took their own life, but sometimes it's not. Either way, I would encourage people to not feel like you need to act as a person's therapist and try to figure everything out. Because like Kelly said, no one has all the answers. Simply saying, I don't know, can be an appropriate response. That said, I don't think it's a bad thing to want answers. But just remember that there's only so much you can say about the situation. And if a loved one continues asking you questions and you can't think of anything else to say, this is where a counselor or another trusted professional can help them work through their grief even further. I would also add um, and really emphasize that just showing up and being there for, the, for that person is probably the biggest thing you can do because oftentimes people don't know what to say or do, so they just avoid. And they might even bump into you in the grocery store and not even acknowledge your pain. And that just that it can be so hurtful, just not having your experience validated. So I would just say being there with them for sure um, is the biggest thing. And saying, I really don't know what to say or do, but I'm here for you. And I'm going, I'm not going anywhere. Like I'm gonna be here for you. And I think if we're just talking about how to support a loved one or someone that you know, like not waiting for them to ask for help just showing up with a meal or saying, hey, I'm going to stop by today. I have half an hour. Let's have a cup of coffee outside. I know how much you enjoy sitting outside and watching the birds in the backyard, like just showing up for them and not waiting for them to ask what they need because they don't know what they need. You know, they don't know mm -hmm. what they need. So I think that's something really kind of easy that we can all do with anyone we know suffering any type of grief, like experiencing any type of grief. And then I kind of wanted to go back to a thing that you said, Olivia, like asking the questions, like, did I do enough or did I miss something? And I heard this said recently, and it just, the, the visual 
representation that this gave me. It just makes so much sense to me. So I'll be curious to hear if you all feel the same way, but this was so impactful for me. I was actually at a funeral um, it, of someone that died by suicide and um, the person giving the um, service told a story. And he said, recently I was talking to a father who lost um, a son to suicide and he was questioning himself like, did I not do enough? Could I have done something more? Just like all of these things that we were just talking about. And he, and he said that he was thinking about it in these terms. He saw his son kind of in these turbulent waters, right? Like getting more and more tired, trying to stay afloat in these turbulent waters and in the process becoming just like a little weaker and not able to support himself. And he said, you know, I realized that I threw him so many lifelines or life preservers and offering help, but he just couldn't see them or he just didn't have the strength to reach out for them. So I could keep giving these things, but if he wasn't in a place to grab onto them or even see them through the turbulent waters, um, they weren't really going to do anything. And I thought to me, it was like, wow, that's powerful. Like it just is very much, I feel describes how if someone is feeling hopeless and um, they just don't have that like strength to go on. Like that just made sense to me. And I was like, wow. So it's a way of saying like, I did try. And when you think about suicide, it's like one of the only ways of when someone dies that we actually insert our action or inaction into someone's death. And we don't do that with other things really. So I just feel like those are a couple of points. And I'm curious to see, like, does that analogy resonate with you all the way it did for me? Yeah, it definitely does for me. And I think that's something that, you know, I'm going to take and share with people going forward. It, it makes me think, think back to um, when I survived an attempt and a family member said, you know, well, why didn't you talk to me? Why didn't you know that you could come to me? And I think having that turbulent water life preserver analogy really makes a lot of sense because you can want to help someone so bad, but they just might not be able to accept it. And so that, that really resonates with me. I agree. I think that example you gave is very good, Carla. And every situation is different. There are situations where maybe something could have been done, maybe not. Either way, it could be helpful to encourage the person and remind them of the good things they did instead of letting them dwell on missing the signs or not doing enough. That guilt can be severely damaging. And if that's something that your loved one deeply struggles with, this is where, again, a counselor or another trusted professional can help them work through their grief even further. Yeah. Um, and I, Jamie, I so appreciate you um, sharing what has helped for you and the importance of seeking out not only the comfort of family and friends, but the the need um, when you're um, experiencing grief and have this type of loss to find, um, identify things that can work for you and help you. Um, and it, you said, um, you know, a grief counselor or a therapist, an individual therapist, and, you know, different things work for different people. But I think especially um, and, and maybe ongoing, um, individual therapy is especially helpful. I think support groups um, are really helpful once the acute phase of grief have 
begun to dissipate and we're beginning to integrate our grief. Um, and uh, because during the acute phases, I think that um, individualized attention is super helpful. Um, but there are other things that people can do too, such as um, reading. Um, I'll, I had one mom who lost a son to suicide who said that in the nine months that um, had occurred since her son had died, that she had read something like 27 books on grief um, and suicide. And so that was helpful to her. And I think that you know these days, um, online forms, especially for young people, um, uh, is a definitely a way to go. Um, so there's you know there's uh, peer led support groups, and then there's um, support groups let, you know facilitated by other people. There's therapeutic groups as well. Um, the survivor of suicide support group is not one of those. It's an actual support group. Um, and then I think there's you know tapping into um, spirituality if that is important for you is um, helpful, and as well as good self care. I think it's extremely important. Um, to take good care of yourself because you really can't help anybody else, um, even family members, if you're not taking good care of yourself first. Um, so good self-care, and that can come in many ways. Uh, you know, I think there's mindfulness is one of them. Walking in nature is one of them. Um, tapping in, into is your spiritual uh, community and, and spiritual side, if that works for you. Um, so, but we always tell people in the survivor suicide support group, you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first, but that's what uh, flight attendants always say, right? So it's, you know, kind of remember to stop, put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you can help other people. Um, Cause we, you're, in, you're in this for the long haul. And Kelly, you brought up something uh, that I want to get back to resources that you can direct these people to. Um, so you mentioned the mother who read 27 books uh, we'll, we'll include a list of some of these in the show notes, but off the top of your all's head, is there any book or movie or any other form of media that just really stands out as a good resource to direct people to? Um, I could think of a couple off the top of my head, and Carla, I'll ask you to interject too. Um, and yeah, we'll de definitely, I'm happy to provide you with other resources, but um, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention is actually a wonderful organization, um, and they have um, peer support. They have um, fundraising opportunities. Like, I'm not talking about the money side of it per se, but like, you know, they have walks um, a couple of times a year. They actually have um, once a year, and it's held all over the country in local locations, but um, it's the Saturday before Thanksgiving. It's a Survivor's Day um, because holidays, can be very difficult to navigate after you lose someone. And uh, they have, it's a Saturday before Thanksgiving that they come together. They have keynote speakers and, um, you know, small breakout groups and people can come together on that day. Um, and then there's also something, it's an online resource that I can think of off the top of my head, which is the Doogie Center. I'm, I'm sure you're aware of that, but um, another amazing resource for people. Those are off the top of my head and I'll, I'll uh, I'll look at another couple of Carla has something else to add here. I agree with Kelly. AFSP.org is an amazing resource. That's the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. They have a great program there um, where it's a, they match, like if you contact them and talk to them and tell them about your loss, they match you with somebody. It's called Healing Conversations. They match you with someone who has experienced a similar loss. So if you lost a sibling, they match you with someone who lost a sibling, but then has also gone through some training 
to you know discuss suicide loss and bereavement. Um, that's a great program. And as Kelly said, they do a lot of local work. Um, the Out of the Darkness Walk here in Pittsburgh was just happened last weekend. That's a wonderful opportunity for people to come together with families and other survivors of suicide to kind of um, celebrate their loved ones' lives, um, talk to professionals, uh, because there's like there are representatives there from like mental health agencies and hospitals. It's a it's a wonderful um, event that happens every year. They also have like campus chapters on college campuses. Mm -hmm. So I think that that is uh, an AFSP.org is amazing. Um, the other one is the American Association of Suicidology, um, and that's suicidology.org. This is all vetted information that you know is accurate and actually helpful. They have a toolkit. They have a list of resources that you can use. Um, so I would say online, those are wonderful. Kelly and I will provide you with the reading list that we um, give out to the people that attend Survivors of Suicide that I will have a list of reading resources um, that you could share on your website. Um, ones that we have vetted or people that we know that work in the field have vetted. Um, and just as far as if anyone that has survived or is experiencing bereavement by suicide is having suicidal thoughts themselves because we do know that, that people who have lost someone are at increased, increased risk for suicidal thoughts. Um, there's the 988 suicide lifeline number that has gone national that they can call and talk to a trained professional. Also, 741-741 um, is a texting line. You can text the word home and be connected with a text chat with a trained professional. So if if you know someone that is struggling, um, then you know that those are resources that they could reach out to immediately. Those are a few resources that came to the top of my head right away. Um, and then also the Caring Place here in Pittsburgh, the High Market focuses on childhood grief. Um, you can find them online. Um, so, uh, so we can provide you a whole list, but those are the ones that just kind of popped up to the surface for me. I did not use any media or attend events when I was grieving, but the funeral home that we went to for my brother, they gave us pamphlets after my brother passed away and my mom utilized that. So that can also be an option for those grieving. And um, also the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, like um, you mentioned, um, Carla, I think that's also another helpful resource. And I would also add that um, your local NAMI can help you find professional mental health services in your area, but they also have events that occur from time to time as well. So your local NAMI is another good resource as well. And I do have a sort of rapid fire question to wrap us up. But before we get to that, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you all think is important for people to know? I would just say there's no right or wrong way to do this, to grieve. Um, I think that it's such a unique and individual experience that, you know, just because one thing has worked for somebody in the past doesn't mean it will work for you and vice versa. You know, as far as like, you know, for example, someone's clothing, if you, you know, have or their bedroom and making any changes there, you know, I'm, you know, getting rid of their clothing or changing the bedroom um, that they shared. Um, you know, if you want to do it the week after something like this happens, that's fine. If you want to wait years to do something like that, it's fine. It's just a very unique and individual experience and it's, there's no right or wrong way to do it. Yeah, I agree, but you have to do it. You know, you have to allow yourself to grieve. Um, and it's so important to, um, allow yourself to go through that entire process. 
Um, I would also just say that suicide is such a complex situation and experience um, it, that will never be fully understood by the people that are left here to, to grieve the loss of their loved one. Um, but so I would say, just give yourself the grace and understanding that you would give to others, you know, so the things that you would say to your friend or loved one and truly earnestly mean them in your heart, give yourself that same grace and compassion and how you're feeling, how you're responding, how you're dealing and realize that it's going to come in waves. You know, that grief is going to come in waves. And Olivia, you said at the beginning of the conversation, like some days you might want to talk about it and some days you might just want to go to dinner and not really talk about it and realize that's normal. And just like allowing yourself to experience those things um, and know that, um, that it's, it, everybody's journey is different and just giving yourself that understanding. And it's not a linear process either. You know, I think we want to think that we can go step by step if we do step one, step two, step three, and this is what get me on the other side of grief. But that's not the case. It's very fluid and flexible, this journey. Um, like cooked spaghetti, it's just kind of very bendy. But, um, and it's sometimes you might have to go back and revisit a phase of your grief um, before you're able to continue on your journey. It's important to know. I also wanted to add that when you are helping your loved one during their grief, I think it's important to be careful what you say to them, especially right after it happens. I mean, anytime, but especially right after it happens, I would avoid phrases like everything happens for a reason, time heals all wounds, or they're in a better place. You don't want to say things that diminish a person's pain. I think sometimes we feel like we have to give these long, elaborate responses to people after they lose a loved one. And that could help some people, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes all you can do is say, I'm so sorry, and just be with the person in their pain. So well said, Jamie. Thank you. And I do briefly want to touch again on the survivors group that you all run, if people are in your local area, how can they find you and get connected with that? Sure, so um, we have a contact person and if you give me just a minute, I can, there's a chat in this, isn't there? I can drop it into the chat um, and share that information with you, but um, the contact's name is Jamie Kovaleski here at Western Psychiatric Hospital. Uh, the support group is run three times a year um, for eight week sessions. And there's a kind of a monthly follow-up group that people are able to participate into. And I will have to say um, that although um, pre-COVID, it was for just local people that could you know, get to us on a weekly basis for eight weeks, that is the one silver lining of COVID for the SOS group. And that is, is that we're all virtual for now, and I don't know when that will be over. So we have been able to cast a wider net and include people from you know, anywhere. So that's been the silver lining there. So I'm happy to, to share that information with you. I'll just get it together. Um, I can give you the phone number while you were talking, Kel. I looked up Jamie's okay. phone number. Um, so if you're interested in participating, you can uh, call. You'll most likely be connected to Jamie Kovaleski. And the phone number is 412-864-3346. There is a group running right now. I just started this week. The next group after this will start in January. Right, Kel? Mm-hmm. Thank you both. We'll, we'll be sure to include that information in the show notes as well. 
uh, finally, just to wrap us up, we've had such a great conversation today. I know that I've learned a lot. I've benefited from sharing as well. If you could sum up one of your takeaways from this conversation in just a sentence or two, um, how would you do that? And I know that's a big ask and you might need to think on it a minute. Uh, so I'll start us off, um, you know, as someone trying to support a loved one who's lost someone to suicide. I think my key takeaway is just show up, you know, just those two words, just be there for that person. Um, what they need is going to be different based on the person and based on, you know, the day that you talk to them. Uh, so just show up, I think, is, is my key takeaway. Mm hmm. I do agree. Like, I feel like that's one of the biggest things that we can do. Um, I think that my biggest takeaway today is um, the healing benefit of just talking about this with all of you. So just being in a room with people where you feel safe, a space where you feel safe and just talking, because as we've been talking, I'm like, I feel like I've known you all for a very long time now. We've, we're sharing these like personal things about ourselves and just like the benefit of sharing those things with people that aren't judging. Um, that's kind of my takeaway in this moment of just meeting you all and talking about this subject that can be difficult and feeling at ease knowing that you all understand. And I think um, my takeaway is uh, being so thankful to have been able to be a part of this and how honored I am. And I also want to thank Olivia and Jamie for sharing their experiences. And um, my sense is that it was meaningful for you to be able to do that as a way to honor your loved one that was lost and for you in supporting your family. Um, because, you know, uh, loss by suicide has such a ripple effect as we know, and, um, and, I, and I hope that it has been part of your healing by being able to share this. Jamie, I know you said it was 12 years ago that you lost, or 10 years ago that you lost your brother. Um, is that right? Did you say 2012? Yes. Yeah, and so, um, and that, what a beautiful way to honor him. So thank you for being a part of this. It's appreciated. Thank you, Kelly. Yeah, and that's been a huge part of my healing as well. Um, getting into outreach and serving others that have gone through the same issues that I've gone through. That has been tremendous in my healing and good just for my overall emotional health, just to be able to feel like I'm part of something bigger than myself while also honoring my brother. It has brought a lot of healing. It doesn't take away the pain that he's gone, but it gives me hope that I can at least help others who are going through the same thing. So that has been really helpful for me in my journey. But I also wanted to add that um, when someone is grieving, I think it's really important to support the person consistently. There is no specific time frame to follow, but visiting them regularly lets them know that they are not alone and that you care about them. Even after several months or a year goes by, I would encourage someone to keep checking on their loved one. Just because a year has passed doesn't mean you have to stop talking to the person. Offering that continual support means a lot. I agree, Jamie. And so well said. I think that when you were saying that too, I thought of so many other topics <laughs> we could have touched on today um, that I'm like having all kinds of thoughts right now. But we're gonna yeah, have to have another well podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like just just stay consistent and be there and don't 
even at, at, at 10 years out, it, it still is nice when someone acknowledges or asks how you're doing or brings up a memory about your brother, right? Like, oh, I remember the time that like hearing those stories is meaningful, even after 10 years, just to know that people are still thinking of you and your brother. I just think that's a really good point. And I think too, that um, people are hesitant sometimes to bring up a person's loved one because they think, oh, well, we'll bring up memories and they'll feel sad. You're thinking about it all the time anyway, you know? And so by them bringing it up, you know, it's not gonna change that for you, but it's actually gonna be meaningful and really very touching when they do. So yeah, I think it's a great reminder to all of us. Kelly, Carla, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. I know it was very helpful for me and I hope it's helpful for everyone listening as well. Uh, as a reminder, we've got a list of resources for you in the show notes and contact information to get connected with that Survivors of Suicide group. And as always, you can always head online to dbsalliance.org for more support and more information. Thanks for listening.